Stu Does America. Follow all of the 2024 election insanity with my brand new bonus podcast, State of the Race. It's a free podcast series available wherever you get your podcasts. Just go to the Stu Does America feed and you'll get it right there. You can also catch us, of course, on YouTube. The extra bonus podcast is only audio. Some confusion over that, but youtube.com slash America. You get the big show and you get all the other extra stuff that we're doing, like the Chris Christie ad that is up there right now that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, be sure to subscribe, like our videos, and hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things. We appreciate it. Carol Roth is going to be here to talk about the bleak future American businesses are facing. Eric Adams can't quite decide if his entire childhood was a lie or not. Maybe, maybe not. But we start by doing the New York Times Trump warning. They're very, very concerned about warning you about Donald Trump. Now, there's a lot going on. Trump's got a Fox News uh, uh, town hall. Uh, after years of ups and downs, Trump is once again live on Fox News. This is, an in- I mean, it's interesting mainly from the Fox perspective in that, like, they were putting Trump and his surrogates on the air uh, then they got sued. They had to pay, if you remember, 700 and what was it, 87 million dollars in, in fees because of these lawsuits. So then they just started putting Trump on tape all the time so they could edit him out, edit out all the stuff they didn't want him to say. Now he's back live. And, and if you know anything about Donald Trump, you know he's not going to be concerned about their lawsuit success or not. He's going to say what he wants to say. We will see what happens with that. Trump immunity uh, case is going on as well. Uh, The judges seem skeptical of Trump arguments for broad criminal immunity. Now, I will say this, and we've talked about this a little bit as we've gone through the legal stuff uh, as it relates to Trump and being on the ballot or off the ballot. I'm pretty confident at the end of the day, Donald Trump is going to win and he's going to be on the ballots. I don't think this 14th Amendment argument is going to work. Uh, It's it's a long shot, right? And I I really don't think it's going to hold up. I'm pretty confident in that. I'm about equally as confident that Donald Trump is not going to win his argument for broad criminal immunity like he wants to. Basically, his argument is, well, if I was president and I what I did was an official government action, uh, you can't prosecute me until basically until I'm impeached and convicted. Um, You have no authority over me whatsoever for my actions I took as president. That's a really broad reading. Now, there are some smart people who think that is the right reading. I do not think the courts are going to take that view, however. So I don't think he's going to win these. I think these are sort of Hail Marys. You might as well try them if you're Donald Trump, but I don't think they're going to work. We'll see if I'm right on that. Um, But the New York Times doesn't care about any of that. They want you to know that they don't want him to be president. You have to understand that when you're talking about the New York Times, there's no more influential institution over conservative primary voters than the New York Times or something. Here's their piece from the editorial board. Big, bold headline, a warning about Donald Trump in 2024. Now, if you're like me, you're completely in the dark as to how the New York Times felt about Donald Trump up until this moment. They've been so neutral in their coverage on him all of these years that you sit back and you're like, I don't know what they think. Are they going to endorse him or are they going to say he's Hitler? I don't know. I could go either way on this. It's just so difficult to suss out from their previous coverage. But they wanted to make sure that they made a big stance a week before Iowa that they really super duper don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee. That would be very bad. He's a bad, bad person. He's going to do lots of bad things. And you can trust the New York Times if you're a middle of the country caucus goer 
on the Republican side in Iowa. That's what you need to remember. Let's go through some of this and then think about the strategy together, if, if you will, because this is fascinating. They say, by now, most American voters should have no illusions about who Mr. Trump is. During his many years as a real estate developer and a television personality, like, why are we going back to that? He was president of the United States. Then as president and a dominant figure in the Republican Party, Mr. Trump has demonstrated a character and temperament that render him utterly unfit for high office. And I know you sat back and you said, wow, that's what the New York Times thinks? I thought they were on the other side of that. I thought they, he, he, they thought he'd be great in his second term. But no, they think he's unfit for office. As president, he wielded power carelessly and often cruelly and put his ego and his personal needs above the interests of his country. Now, as he campaigns again, his worst impulses remain as strong as ever, encouraging violence and lawlessness. Encouraging violence. I mean, as Now, there was that one thing where he decided he wanted to create his own personal Godzilla to come and stamp down on all major cities of the United States. And I thought that was a bad policy by Donald Trump. But other than that, has he really encouraged violence? Now, of course, they say this every single time. If he makes a joke, if he uh, he says, I can shoot people on Fifth Avenue and people will still vote for me, they're like, oh, he's, he's calling for violence. Let's be honest about it. He's not calling for violence. I mean, that is not what he's doing. There's, you know, that's just not like he at times is loose with his words. We've been critical of him on that front before. But come on, the guy's not calling for violence. But they say he is without any critique. There's not like, you know, some people allege he was calling for violence. No, it's just stated as if it's facts in the op-ed. Exploiting fear and hate for political gain, undermining the rule of law and the Constitution, applauding dictators and are escalating as he tries uh, to regain power. His worst instincts are escalating, of course. Mr. Trump does not offer voters anything resembling a normal option of Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, big government or small. He confronts America with a far more fateful choice between the continuance of the United States as a nation dedicated to the blessings of liberty, to ourselves and our posterity, and a man who's proudly shown open disdain for the law and protections and ideals of the Constitution. Now, this is a fascinating uh, argument. They went back to several times uh, during this piece. Look, Donald Trump is not a normal Republican or Democrat. He is not uh, along the normal ideological lines. You can find many, many, many uh, instances, and we've brought them up over and over and over again, of Donald Trump calling for bigger government. Right. Programs that I don't agree with. Right. He wants to grow government in many, many cases. He got a lot of criticism from the right for saying he wanted to make a glorious new building for the FBI, who is not exactly in the highest of favor right now among conservative voters. I mean, he even did actually say that the 2020 election stuff was so egregious that he may need to suspend the Constitution for a time. None of that makes me happy. However, can we be a little honest for the New York Times? And I know the answer to this question, of course, is no. But could we at least attempt to show some honesty? When you have what you call normal Republicans, you say they're Hitler, too. So when you say Donald Trump is Hitler, 
No one who is a conservative voter is even going to listen. You were saying Mitt Romney was Hitler. You were saying Rudy Giuliani was Hitler. You were saying John McCain was Hitler. You were saying uh, uh, George W. Bush was Hitler. You said every Republican that has run has been Hitler or some version of some horrible dictator for multiple decades. No one takes you seriously when you say this. And when you try to say, well, wow, he's not a normal Republican. One of the reasons that a non-normal Republican has risen to the power that Donald Trump has risen to is because you keep destroying every normal Republican and saying they're Hitler as well. None of them. Uh, you kept crushing their political careers. So people thought they needed a different option. And look, Donald Trump has done some things that I think a lot of conservatives really like. Some things maybe they don't like so much. But what they do like about Donald Trump is he doesn't take the nonsense from the New York Times lightly. It's also what they, generally speaking, like about Ron DeSantis as well. If you have someone who can push back against the New York Times, it's going to be something that's embraced by the conservative cause. And let that percolate in your mind a little bit as I read a little bit more uh, of this op-ed. Mr. Trump's four years in the White House did lasting damage to the presidency and to the nation. He deepened existing divisions among Americans, leaving the country dangerously polarized. He so demeaned public discourse that many Americans have become inured to lies, insults, and personal attacks at the highest levels of leadership. Now, of course, you know, social media certainly did a lot on that front as well. It wasn't all Donald Trump's fault. But I think, you know, there are some people, I think, who would look at this and say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, Donald Trump did kind of escalate things, didn't he? You know, I mean, even some conservatives might believe that. You know, certainly the, the name calling is not something that a lot of conservatives particularly appreciate. Uh, they'd rather have him focusing on tax policy than, than doing that. But it's pathetic coming from the New York Times. It, it, it makes people who might vote and in the Iowa caucus say, God, you know, like I, I might not even be the biggest fan of Donald Trump, but look at how much they want to stop him. Look at the things they will say. Look at the things they will do. They will try to put him in prison. They will try to rip him off the ballot. They will write massive statements a week before the Iowa caucuses from the New York Times stating he's a danger to America. They will do everything. They will show their breathless desperation to stop this man for a lot of conservatives, the end of that equation is, well, then this man must be dangerous to what they want and what they want sucks. They want boys to be girls. They want the border to be open. They want our, our capitalism to be destroyed. They want our schools to be destroyed. They want the family to be destroyed. They want all these terrible things for the country. If those people want it, I must want the opposite. But they kept going. The Republic weathered. Mr. Trump's presidency for a variety of reasons. This is an interesting admission, by the way. When all this was happening, when Donald Trump was doing these things, they very clearly said the, the American people, before he was even elected, they said the American uh, nation would not survive Donald Trump. Then he became president and everything he did, they kept saying we wouldn't survive. And then they survived the whole presidency. Now they've got this pitch for you. The Republic weathered Mr. Trump's presidency for a variety of reasons. His lack of prepared agenda. So Trump was so discombobulated that he couldn't come up with a coherent plan to advance his agenda. A lot of his stuff didn't get passed for that reason. So that's why our country is safe. Got it? This is the approach. COVID-19 and the pandemic derailed uh, his efforts. 
courts and the efforts of appointees who tried to temper his most dangerous and unreasonable demands. Okay, remember he hired you know a bunch of the generals. He hired people like Bob Barr um, that came in and said, you know what, you can't really do this, Mr. President. You're limited legally here, and Trump had no choice but to listen to them. See, it was the heroic actions of, by the way, all these people who at the time the New York Times said were basically Hitler's assistant, right? They, they didn't like Bob, uh, uh, Bill Barr, Bob Barr. I get the bars confused. Bill, I want to say Bill Barr. Bill Barr, I'm going to go with Bill. Bob, I don't know if what you're doing these days, but I think it's Bill. Is Bill the one I'm thinking of? You know, the guy that was working for Trump, right? And left uh, the administration late. Now Trump despises, right? Uh, uh, you know, all sorts of aides that he w- had brought on uh, from John Kelly to a bunch of the different uh, aides, you know, Mathis, all these people who, you know, kind of in their books later on admitted, well, you know what, Donald Trump had a lot of bad ideas. We tried to stop him uh, where, when and where we could. Those people who now get praised for all their efforts to stop Donald Trump, when they were in office, were being trashed as Hitler's secretary, basically. You see how transparent all of this is? Most important, it survived because of the people and institutions and administration in the Republican Party who proved strong enough to stand up to his efforts to undermine the peaceful transfer of power. Now the New York Times is praising the Republican establishment? Where did this start? I mean, during this time, they did absolutely everything they could to convince you that all the Republicans were on the side of insurrection. And now when they need the argument, the only thing standing in the way of our country dissolving is the Republican Party? What am I reading here? It almost seems like there's some other motivation. Huh. Mr. Trump and his ideological allies have been planning for a second Trump term for many months already. Under the name Project 2025, one coalition of right-wing organizations has produced a thick handbook and recruited thousands of potential appointees in preparation for an all-out assault on the structures of American government and the democratic institutions that acted as checks on Mr. Trump's power. The project uh, ties in with plans from Mr. Trump and his supporters to reclassify tens of thousands of federal workers so that they could be fired if they do not fully buy in to the Trump agenda. I mean, you could take that quote and put it directly on the Trump 2024 website and it would help him. People like the fact, this is what they like about Donald Trump that he's actually planning on not putting up with the institutions. Now, look, obviously conservatives don't want their institutions destroyed. Conservatism at its core is about conserving the institutions that make this country great. But what they do see in a, in a, uh, a monologue like that from the New York Times is here are a bunch of people who don't like the country, who who constantly stand up and say how terrible it is, telling me that Donald Trump is going to disrupt what they're trying to do. That sounds great. Hmm. There is more, including threats by Mr. Trump to find ways to use federal troops against those who might protest his policies and practices. These ambitions demonstrate that the years out of office and the mounting legal challenges he faces have only sharpened his worst instincts. While in the White House, he repeatedly threatened to leave NATO, an alliance critical to the stability of Europe that he sees only as a drain on American resources. Now his campaign website says without elaborating that he plans to finish the process of fundamentally reevaluating NATO's purpose and NATO's mission. He has announced his intention to abandon Ukraine, leaving it and its neighbors vulnerable to further Russian aggression. Encouraged by an American president, leaders who rule with an iron fist in Hungary, Israel, 
and India and elsewhere would face far less moral or democratic pressure. Notice, by the way, they're saying Israel is run by an iron fist. Amazing. An amazing statement just kind of tossed in the middle of this while Israel's fighting for its survival. We'll put that aside, I suppose, for the moment. Um, Notice this, first of all, all of a sudden the New York Times is just super involved, wanted to be involved in every war across the world. This is, of course, where the passion of the Republican Party is, fighting back against the funding of places like Ukraine. And it's amazing to see that play out when Donald Trump was president and he took action against, you know, Soleimani, for example, in Iran. He was widely criticized by places like the New York Times when he was standing up against dictators and pushing back against them. He was largely criticized by the New York Times. His policy against, let's say, Russia was actually much stronger uh, than the previous president, uh, Barack Obama. Uh, But because he said some positive things, they lit him up on that issue over and over and over again. Do you see what's going on here? Democracy in the United States is stronger with a formidable conservative political movement to keep diversity of thought alive on important questions such as the nation's approaches to immigration, education, national security, and fiscal responsibility. I can't believe they're even writing this with a straight face. It's the antithesis of everything they stand for. There should be room for real disagreement on any of these topics and many more, but there is a long tradition of it across the American experiment. It's not what the former president is seeking. You know, You can say now that you think there's a strong argument for a a big conservative movement when all of your resources, all of the time have gone to destroy it. It rings a bit hollow. All you've tried to do is make the quote unquote normal conservative movement look like heathens and Nazis for 50 years. And now you're like, oh, we really need a strong conservative movement. You've done everything you could to destroy that movement. They end it with reelecting Donald Trump would be a, uh, would present serious dangers to our republic in the world. It's a time not to sit out to get instead reengage. We appeal to Americans to set aside their political differences. Do you believe this nonsense from the freaking New York Times? Um, families, parishes, councils and clubs as individuals, the real magnitude of the choice they will make in December will be made clear. So there you go. Uh, there's this pitch from The New York Times. Now, The New York Times is either a complete success or a complete failure here. A complete failure because if they're trying to hurt Donald Trump, this is the last thing in the world that would do it. But I, I, I present to you that really what they're doing here is a real success. A, w- a week before Iowa, when Donald Trump has a chance at least of being overturned in the primary, instead of trying to cover with some honesty just what's going on in the campaign, which would be my preference, instead they're trying to light up Donald Trump to their audience Not one person in their audience is going to change their mind on Donald Trump. They all already hate the Murray wouldn't be there. And instead, what they do is weaken his opponents in the primary. If they really believed he was this threat to democracy, the last thing in the world they would want to do is empower Donald Trump a week before Iowa. Yet here they are making this massive statement to do exactly that. The Times might be crazy, but they're not dumb. They know what they're doing here, and they're doing it for a very good reason. And I will say, you know, this is a a difference between journalism and activism. You know, journalism is covering the news. Activism is what they're doing now and have been doing forever. They're trying to manipulate the news. And you might, you know, you might love Donald Trump. You may hate Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, but you could see what they're doing here. They want Donald Trump to win this primary because they believe they can beat him. That is a very risky proposition. And if you think I'm lying about the activism, well, 
Journalists were caught on an open hot mic joking about Donald Trump being assassinated today. They were hoping he'd pull up in a convertible like JFK. Now, once we get past the GOP nomination, the media is going to focus their guns on Trump. And I've been saying that for a while, but I'm starting to be a little concerned that it's literal and not figurative. We are in a very strange and dangerous time in our country. We could use a media that actually did their job. Instead, we have these idiots. This past December, drug shortages hit a record high, and this is causing really big disruptions in medical treatments. Uh, I don't know if you've, we've had this problem with medicines that our kids take, where you go to get them and like, they used to always be available. I was talking about this with my wife the other day. She's like, you know, I don't remember before, let's say, I don't know, 2021, that we ever had a problem getting any medication. Like this is the United States of America. This should be easy. Instead, we have, you know, all sorts of crazy laws being passed right now and the, the economy not working the way it's supposed to. This is why you gotta be prepared. The Jace case is a great way to do that. A lot of people think about preparation and they think, oh, food, water, shelter, all those things are of course incredibly important, but also medicine is important. Jace case is a a personalized emergency kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And Jace is continually working to expand their medication offerings. They've got ivermectin, if you wanna get your hands on that. Uh, That's an option in the Jace case, along with a bunch of other stuff. And you can buy a gift card for your family or your loved ones so that they can get a Jace case of their own and personalize it to their needs. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Get your Jace case today. Go to jacemedical.com. Use the code STU at checkout. You'll get a discount. It's promo code STU at jacemedical.com. J-A-S-E medical.com. Joining me now in studio is Carol Roth, former investment banker and author of a great book, You Will Own Nothing. The war with a new financial world order and how to fight back. Uh, Carol, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, great to be here. And just to be clear, I want you to own everything, Stu. That was not my words. I'm just trying to tell you what's out there. Look, the book says what it says. It does. It says says right on there. Um, (laughs) This has been a crazy... There's always drama in the financial world, right? Always. Today, of course, you put crypto within it's involved, it always gets even more dramatic. Today, one of the strangest things I've ever seen, where we have this idea of a Bitcoin ETF that's expected to be approved this week. Uh, In fact, multiple uh, Bitcoin ETFs supposed to be uh, approved this week. And then the day before it's supposed to happen, someone supposedly compromises the SEC's Twitter account and leaks that it's already been approved. Then there's all sorts of trying to clean up. Can you, I mean, look, by the time you listen to this, I have no idea what's happening, but up until now, can you kind of walk us through what actually happened here? Yes, this is chef's kiss perfection because the SEC is always like, don't believe what you read on the internet. Come to the SEC. We are the only place you should get your information. And so the fact that their account was hacked, compromised, we don't know exactly what it is, but there was a statement that was put up on their formerly known as Twitter X account that said, we have now approved Bitcoin spot ETFs and you can trade in digital assets. There was some you know, very legal, formal, financial sounding language with a nice picture of Gary Gensler who runs the SEC yeah. in the corner and it looked you know, all very official. And so of course, everyone's like, ah, I got in, you know, price of Bitcoin shoots up. 
Then I go, no, just kidding. That that wasn't. Our account was compromised. So we what? don't actually know at this point if this was a hack and someone just trying to be hilarious. It sounded almost a little too official and a little too boring from my perspective. Like, if you're going to hack, like, you've got to put some some piece in there <laughs> little, that makes uh, it sound nugget, a little, a little you know, kind of fun and trolly. Yeah. So it could be whether it was somebody at the SEC who maybe got a little like, oh, I said it for six o'clock, you know, at night instead of six o'clock in the morning or, oh, you know, right. on some Hootsuite or some right. tool like that. Yeah. Um, or it could be somebody who got an embargoed press release that, you know, somehow kind of made its way out there. Sure. So we don't know, and we won't know. It'll be interesting. Now they're probably scrambling to write up something different <laughs> right. just to cover their own track so that when they put it out, see, this wasn't actually our screw-up. Anthony um, Weiner's like, how do I get the job heading up the SEC? I've done this. I know how to fake a hack. I'm great at this. I know. This is always the excuse that it was somebody else. This is, you know, Jesse Smollett. He's blaming the, you know, the, the SEC is going to blame it on you know, two MAGA guys or something like that, that this is why everything went wrong. Can you kind of briefly just give us the overview of the Bitcoin ETF because like I mean anyone can buy Bitcoin why is it important uh, for Bitcoin in the future that you can buy it through an ETF so an ETF is an exchange traded fund and basically the idea is that they would hold the Bitcoin and then have something that approximates the spot price to make it easier for you to buy and sell, particularly on an institutional level. So if you're like a big financial institution and your clients want some exposure to Bitcoin, you're not going into the market and like getting a wallet set up and trying to like populate (laughs) your wallet. You want to have a more robust financial product. And we see this for everything. They they have paper versions of gold. They have ETFs that approximate um, the, the major financial indices. And so it's just an easier way for people to buy and, and sell and trade and, and kind of get that level of exposure to the asset class. Right, like in theory, I could go buy a barrel of oil somewhere, but it's much easier to buy an oil-based <laughs> ETF to get that yeah, exposure. E- exactly. I okay. don't know. Do you have any barrels of oil stored anywhere? <laughs> I do. I, I have my whole backyard uh, filled uh, with just them. A, just a couple of them. Uh, that's, that's just the way I invest. Right. You know? it should be good. I, mean, I, I like the physical gold. The physical oil becomes a little cumbersome. <laughs> I, um, and Bitcoin obviously not being physical mm-hmm. and with the technology cha- challenges and again with the institutional challenge of trying to get you know large amounts um, you're going to have these funds that theoretically will be approved not quite yet yeah. folks but theoretically <laughs> tomorrow different from a derivatives contract that this is supposed to actually have bitcoin that they have to buy and hold it, and that's going to back the trading of this fund versus, you know, kind of speculation in a derivatives market. Yeah, I think the Bitcoin thing is intimidating for a lot of people, right? Like you don't know Correct. if someone's going to hack you, if you're going to lose it, you're going to screw it up. This is like basically putting so the onus on them. They're not going to trust the financial institutions because right. they're, they're, no, they're, they're very trustworthy. <laughs> they would never do anything to screw me over. No, of course not. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. What is the process of approval here? Like why, you know, it's been a years they've been trying to get this done. Right. Why, why this week? Why did it take so long? What do they have to proved? Is it just basically the government finally saying, all right, fine, Bitcoin's a thing. Okay, fine. I mean, I would imagine it's much deeper and more entangled. And there are lots of um, people posturing within the 
financial community, which is obviously incredibly strong. The SEC gets the power to, to make this decision, as well as a bunch of others, by the way, that mm -hmm. impact our lives. And um, and so, yeah, there, there's lots of lobbying that's going on, and I'm sure lots of favors that are exchanged, allegedly, in the background <laughs> um, in order for them to say, this is, we're going to move forward. But what those intentions are and if that's a, a good intention or a bad intention, we never really know. Look, I, whether you like Bitcoin or not, and whoever, whatever opinion you have, just think about how pissed off Elizabeth Warren will be, and then you'll be <laughs> you'll be cheering for this to happen. Yes, yes. There, there's no other. The silver lining. <laughs> that's, that's all, yeah. um, let me go over to uh, ESG for a second. I thought this is fascinating because this is, I think, largely due from your work and Glenn's work talking about this. The audience really getting up to speed on this on ESG. And the Wall Street Journal puts out a, uh, a piece today. The latest dirty word in corporate America is ESG. This was growing at an exponential rate just a couple of years ago. And now they're running for the hills. They're scared. They don't want to brand anything ESG because they think it's going to be a major problem. I mean, that's a huge win for you, Glenn, and, and, and everybody who cares about this stuff. Well, it's more of a win for the American public and all the people who are getting manipulated mm. by this greenwashing scam and this nefarious scam. Um, it's not quite an obituary that they put out, yeah. but it's like, eh, it's not looking as good. They, you know, they're, not, they're not feeling as well as uh, maybe they did when they were younger. The challenge with something like ESG, and there are you know, lots of people, I give credit to um, you know, folks at the state level, you know, the Ron DeSantis's of the world, the AG out in Arizona. I mean, there are a lot of people who basically said, we want nothing to do with this, mm -hmm. and we're going to actually penalize you. you. You cannot do business with our state if you're going to push um, you know, these ESG products. I do think the victory lap we can take is that when we do get people who pay attention to things and make a bunch of noise and call their reps and get involved and personally say, I'm going to vote with my dollars. I don't want to be involved with your institution if you are pushing ESG, then that creates a toxicity that corporate America is never going to be able to get around, no matter who is pushing them. If it's impacting their bottom lines, it's impacting their jobs, it's creating more risk for them, then that's never going to, to be a thing. The challenge is, and um, I've said this to, to you before, you know, it's kind of like having a, a, a pest problem that you go and you get the exterminator and you finally have battled and, and you now have a <laughs> pest-free, you know, residence. And then, you know, the summer comes around next year and you have to battle them again. And maybe it's not the same exact pest, but they're still pests and you have to go through that. So the, the battle isn't over. There are still people who want to use your money and to kind of corrupt capitalism in the name of climate justice to take over resources and to misallocate capital. So there's a new thing called natural asset companies um, mm. that are or NACs that, funny enough, the SEC, again, maybe they'll put out a, a, a hacked <laughs> release on this, um, have to weigh in on they're taking comments up until January 18th. And this is the wildest thing. Glenn is actually the one who put me onto this. This is a new type of company that they just made up. Like, you know, you've got S-Corps and B-Corps. Right. We're going to make up something called an, an NAC. And oh, by the way, we're going to come up, this is hubris, with our own accounting system that's, you know, not going to use normal accounting measures. We're going to use environmental accounting measures. What and are they, environmental? <laughs> numbers aren't environmental. No, They're just but they, numbers. But, but they are, Stu. Okay, and, the, and this okay. little fantasy world... 
And the point is that they want to take our productive resources, things like our food supply, our water supply, um, lands that we go on for, you know, for tourism, whatever it is, and they want to take them out of productive use and put them into conservation. So mm. they are raised, trying to raise money in order to be able to, they don't even have to buy the land, just get the management rights or, or the control over the land in order to decommission it and, and make it more you know, climate friendly or you know, within the climate goals. So I think that sounds and smells a lot like ESG. It just has a different three letter name. Mm -hmm. So it's good that we're getting it out here but time to call the exterminator again. We got to kill it over here. Yeah, it is. That's the pattern, right? I right. mean, like I remember going back to education, Common Core. Like that was something that we talked about at the time. And you know, people rose up and they said, "We don't want this." And then they just started doing it under a different name. This right. happens over and over and over again. So we have to keep watching it uh, really closely. Before we leave, I, I, this is something I've not followed, so I don't. I, 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 but I'm amazed by it. I think one of the big innovations we've seen over the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years has been this rise of, you know, I don't know, it's maybe in a put down sense, they call it the gig economy, right? Like right. this idea that you can go out and choose when you want to work and pop onto the Uber app and go drive people around for a little bit and make some extra cash. Yeah. It helps people through, you know, times when they're maybe struggling. It's a little bit of extra cash for some people. I mean, it really, it, I think, is a really positive thing overall. Of course, that doesn't stop the government from trying to murder it. What are they trying to do now with independent contractors? So whether you're an independent contractor, so you could be maybe a hairdresser that rents a, a place in a salon or somebody who caters a movie set, or maybe you drive for Uber. You may remember a few years back in California that they passed this rule AB5 and mm. they said, okay, you can't be a contractor, you can't be a gig worker under most circumstances, we're going to have to have you reclassified as employees. And Uber fought it and Lyft fought it. The, the ride-sharing apps actually got a special exemption. But for a lot of people in California, like, they lost their jobs. Like, somebody said, well, I can't hire you as a writer. You're from California. I'm going to hire somebody in Idaho instead so I can keep the contractor status because people value flexibility. People mm -hmm. want to have, um, you know, whatever choice they want, their work, their choice. Some people don't need health care. They have it from a spouse or for something else. They don't need all those kinds of things that go along with being an employee. And particularly for small businesses, which we know, backbone of the economy, 33 million small businesses, you might only need somebody for a certain period of time or for a very specific thing, and you don't have the wherewithal to hire employees. So this has created a huge economy. Um, estimates are like close to 60 million gig workers, and the government can't have that. They cannot have you not working for big corporations. They can't have you having freedom. They can't have you getting away from unionization. Mm. So the Department of Labor has put out a rule, which we're all just came out today. We're all going through it. Unfortunately, this one wasn't a, a fake leak. This was real and said, we're going to try to make more gig workers and independent contractors into actual employees if you don't create a business around what it is that you're doing. Mm. And this is just against personal freedom. And it's also against the way our law system works. I mean, we were trying to fight this through the PRO Act in the legislature, 
But this is in the executive branch, right? This is a Department of Labor rule. It hasn't even gone through Congress, and they're still trying to shove it down our throats. So, once again, once again, the Democrats have proven that they're against the middle class, they're against the workers, they're against small business. And so, another place, we have lots of places where there's just so much work to do, and it's getting exhausting, but you know, it's the beginning of the year, so we got to dig down and, and fight these things. All right, let me, let me, get, let me. This, do this last one. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. You're, everything you said, I think, is true. People understand that it's true. Like, people like Uber. They like Lyft. Okay. They like being able to jump in and out of these things. They like DoorDash. They like all this stuff. And you, when you're screwing with 50, 60 million people, m- millions and millions of jobs, usually you, you put that into place, like, in an off-election year, Right. And I I keep coming back to this over and over again. These are things that you'd think Biden in an election year trying to appeal to a voting populace that overwhelmingly uh, disregards his his handling of the economy and also says it's the most important thing that counts for their vote. When those two things are true, why wouldn't he be reaching out? Why wouldn't he be saying this is a time we need to unleash the economy? Even if he doesn't mean it, usually people play to the middle to try to win these elections. But they're going the exact opposite way. Why? Do you have any idea? Well, I mean, first of all, they're liars. So they're going to say this is something. We're, this is a supporter of workers' rights. We're supporting. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going to try and make you an employee so that you have more rights and more things and government protections. Spin, spin, spin. Spin, spin, spin. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that there's just a huge installed base. Of voters. I mean, the, who's the biggest employer in this country? Is the government. They've got 23 million employee, uh, employees that are going to go out and vote. You've got the teachers unions. You've got all these, you know, installed bases. They don't care. So they'll just they'll lie, they'll spin. And unfortunately, um, some people will go, yeah, well, this is, you know, probably not great, but, you know, I'm still going to vote the way that I'm, I voted the whole way and, and not think that, oh, maybe this is going to change. Mm-hmm. And it's really extra bad. And I hope it's something that uh, when I'm guessing he gets the chance that Trump will seize on. But this also overturned a rule that Trump had put in place that tried to make it easier for independent contractors to, to have work. That that business mindset that we want to have abundance, that we want to grow the economy, that we want to give people more freedoms and that we all benefit from that. Mm, amazing. It's hard to understand, but this is where we are. Uh, Carol Roth, a former investment banker. Be sure to check out her book, uh, You Will Own Nothing, Your War with a New Financial World Order and How to Fight Back. An important read and, as we said, real things coming out of it. So thank you for all your hard work on this, Carol. Thanks. Thanks. The the whole situation with Eric Adams as mayor of New York has really been a, a bumbling mess since the very beginning. I mean, look, would you rather have him than Bill de Blasio? Sure. Um, but he is a bizarre dude, a, a bizarre dude. Um, the latest story is fascinating. There's a book that he wrote. And it was from 2009 and it was called Don't Let It Happen. Um, and it was a story in there, it recounts a story about Adams as a kid thinking he had a toy gun that someone brought into school and him firing the toy gun. It was not a toy gun. A real bullet came out. He almost killed his friend. He ran away scared. OK, that's a bizarre story, but OK, it was in his book. Uh, he's asked about it in front uh, by a, a journalist. And he says, no, that's not true. It's not a true story. 
Um, and the reason, you know, the, what probably happened is they uh, the uh, they put this the they were going to put this in the book, but the book never even came out. It wasn't even a real book. It was just a manuscript. It never even came out. At that point, the journalist pulls out the actual book. It's he's ordered it off of Amazon, so it is a real book. He was lying or didn't know his own book came out. Then he said, "Well, it, they must have screwed up the story. The, it must have been from the co-author." Well, there is no co-author of this book. A bizarre, bizarre story. He's now claiming, well, maybe it was a ghostwriter and the ghostwriter messed up the story about the gun. Uh, just a strange guy who continually lies about his own life. I don't know. I mean, I, it's not something that makes any sense to me, but it's a really funny Eric Adams uh, story. And another b- update to another bizarre story. Do you remember this video uh, from a courtroom? We played it, I think, a little bit last week. But I think it's time that he gets a taste of something else because I just can't with that history. In accordance with the laws of state of this court. Unbelievable. Guy jumps over the uh, the desk there and tackles the judge in the middle of the trial. Well, he's back in court. Shockingly, that didn't get him out of his uh, punishment. He's back in court. This is what he looked like now. He's got like a bag on his head. He's being muzzled. He's got gloves over his hands so he can't do anything with them. He's chained up. And you think to yourself, well, that's just right. He attacked the judge in the open court. Obviously, they're going to do this to him. I happen to see this take and I'd had to bring it to you from Maurice. He says, I know the guy jumped over a desk and attacked a judge, but there is something very disturbing about seeing a black man in chains and muzzled. Now, look, this is the problem. When you see people, not as individuals, but as members of groups, that's the kind of take you have. I will never be disturbed by somebody who attacked a judge who's white being muzzled or chained. Why? Because the person who attacks another individual should be chained. That's, that, this is not a commentary on African Americans in general, it's a commentary on this one lunatic. That's how you're supposed to think in America. You're supposed to see people as individuals, not members of groups. Remember, once again, we've talked about this a million times. Racism is collectivism. It is, that's why the left embraces this so deeply. If you see people as individuals and judge them honestly by their merit and their character as people, then you don't have these problems. When you try to say, well, X group does this and X group does that, that's when life gets terrible. Stop doing that. Thank you so much to those who have already hopped over to the uh, podcast feed and subscribed and followed wherever you get your podcasts to pick up the new State of the Race podcast that's been dropping in the mornings. We're going to be doing it regularly. I'm not sure how many days a week it's going to be happening, but we're going to do it as regularly as we can as we get closer and closer to the election. State of the Race with Stu Gear. It's available wherever you get your podcast. Now, it's, it is audio only, so if you're watching on Blaze TV, if you're on Pluto, if you are on YouTube, right now that morning podcast, it's like 10 minutes long, 12 minutes long, and just get you through all the election stuff that you need to know for that day as we go through the election season. Only available on audio, though. So go to your audio podcast feed, subscribe to Stu Does America. You'll not only get this fabulous show, but you'll also get State of the Race in the morning to keep you updated throughout the election season.
You know, when we first started this show, we had the budget for one effect, and we had a bunch of choices, and we decided one special effect in the budget. You know, we're not Lucasfilm here. We chose confetti, and we now would like to present the 2023 Anti-Semite of the Year. The award goes to Rashida Tlaib. Yeah, there's that confetti. The entire budget sunk into that one effect. It doesn't come with any sound, so you on podcast didn't even know it happened, but... It was colorful paper-looking stuff falling down. To congratulate Rashida Tlaib. By the way, I had Elon Omar minus 180, so I, I lost a bunch of cash on this one. Uh, but congratulations to Rashida. We will see you tomorrow.